Good morning. Friends, it's, uh, it's good to be with you this morning as we begin a new series uh, here at Central City Church uh, called Headlines. Uh, if you haven't picked up on it yet, during this series, we're going to take a hard look at current events. In a sense, we as a church, we want to join the conversation that's already happening uh, in our nation, a conversation you're probably having with coworkers and with family members and with friends. Um, a conversation that's around a number of issues, and uh, a number of issues uh, that we are actually deeply uh, divided over. Um, uh, things like Black Lives Matter, the Me Too movement, immigration, things like uh, human sexuality, the gun debate, healthcare, and others. And we're not going to be able to address all of these, but we're going to at least uh, uh, begin to bring some of those uh, to the forefront. Not, we want to talk about these not only because we believe Scripture has some things to say about each of these issues, but because I think Scripture... And people who follow Jesus have this amazing opportunity to model for the world how to have these kinds of conversations. Amen? Amen? Wow. Must have hit a chord there. Um, now, one thing uh, you're never supposed to talk about is religion and politics. The other thing you're not supposed to talk about is money. We don't even talk about how we don't talk about money, so it's not included in the list, but we don't talk about money. So we just finished a series where we talked about what? Money, right. And now we're starting a series where we're literally going to talk about religion and politics. So from the bottom of my heart, I am so sorry. <laughs> you know, like we're, we're, we're doing it. And uh, if you're new with us today, if you're joining us for the first time, I am so glad that you're here. And I hope that after today, you, you still want to come back. I do. Uh, uh, in all seriousness, though, I, I believe this. Just because something is difficult to talk about doesn't mean we shouldn't. In fact... I've found in my life, my marriage and workplace and amongst relationships, the more difficult it is to talk about, the more important it is that we talk about it. Have you not found that? And, and the way in which we talk about it becomes even more important still. How we go about having that conversation. So we're going to uh, talk about how we're going to go about this conversation. And, and honestly, this morning, um, normally I like to just focus on a particular scripture passage and, and, and open it up and study it. Today, we're doing a bit of an introduction. We're going to create just a framework. The scripture's involved in that, but we're going to talk about a number of other things. Um, and so it's, not, it's more of a teaching today than, than, than a preaching, although I still might get excited. It's hard to say. But uh, we're going to just create a framework for the conversation that we're entering into. So um, we're going to do this. We hope to accomplish a couple of things. First, here's what we want to accomplish. We want to name the headlines. We just want to acknowledge that these conversations are happening already. We're not making these up. This is what people are talking about. And I don't think it does anyone any good for pastors or churches or for leaders to just avoid them altogether. I don't. So we need to just, one of the goals in this, in this series is just to name it. This is what's going on. The second thing we want to do is we want to look at the headlines. We want to look at some of these issues from a biblical perspective and see what Scripture has to say about it. Now, I just want to precursor, very important that you hear this from me, um, and uh, is this. Me and Alyssa uh, are going to be preaching this series. Uh, we have degrees in theology. It's called a Master of Divinity. Such a weird name. I have not mastered divinity, but that's just what it's called in the academic world. We have Masters of Divinity, so we have never uh, been lawyers. We have never created laws, and we don't fully understand politics. In other words, I claim no claim that I understand how to, in the complicated national landscape, take theology and implicate it into policy. But I think our theology should influence how we vote, 
and how we interact with one another. So we're going to talk about it from a theological perspective, and then together as a community and as individuals, you know, we'll figure out together what that means for moving forward as a country. And, and honestly, the little group that we have here, we're not going to, you know, we're a drop in the bucket. But it does start with us and how we think about it. So we're going to look at the issues from a theological perspective and create some framework for wrestling with it. So finally, three, we want to learn how to talk about the headlines. So we don't just want to look at what, who, what God might have to say about them, um, but we want to model for each other and for the world how we have these kinds of conversations. Friends, I think this is probably the most important part. How we're having the conversation is essential to whether the conversation happens at all. Have you found this? The way in which we talk to one another about these things determines whether the conversation is happening at all. And friends, I'm here to tell you, in many places, the conversation isn't even happening. And we as Christians can model a better way to talk about it. Now, if I'm honest, this is my weakest area, how we talk. Anyone else in the room? Honestly, I won't make you raise your hand, because if every one of you was honest, you'd all raise your hand. This is probably our weakest area, how we actually go about communicating things. So that's what we hope to accomplish. Here's how we hope to do it. We have a couple of tools that we're going to work with um, to work through this. The first one is we're going to invite you to journal during this series. So you've got a journal. If you don't want it, you don't have to keep it. You can drop it off um, on your way out with your Connect card or your offering. Um, there's certainly no obligation. We're not trying to download you two to your album or your iTunes or anything like that. But you're welcome to keep it. Um, and uh, we're going to invite you to actually journal. We're going to look at some scripture. We're going to memorize scripture together, and you can write those in your journal. And every week, we're going to have some reflection questions. We talk a lot about sending our thoughts and prayers. And one of the things I've realized is that we often don't have deep thoughts or wholehearted prayers around any of these things. We're kind of just scratching the surface. So we want to dig deeper, and we want you to dig deeper in your own spiritual life and wrestle with some of these things. So we've provided a tool, a journal, and we're going to journal together and wrestle with these things together. So the second thing we want to create is space for conversation. So if you're not in a small group, or if uh, we'd love for you to join one, or if you join us online, or if you're uh, listening to the podcast, we'd love to make our discussion questions available to you. So even if you can't be in a small group, we have some resources that'll help you discuss some of these things um, with the people that you're uh, sharing your life with. So we want to start a conversation. We want to figure out how to have that conversation. And third, we want to offer some action steps. So depending on the sermon and the topic, we hope to offer some action steps. Like what does it mean to actually live into some of these issues? Where can you volunteer, advocate, or, or give around some of these things? So uh, we're going to take a second, and uh, if you've got a journal and something to write with, pull it out, all right? Find something to write with, find uh, your journal, and I'm going to actually have you start uh, at the beginning of the service and at the end writing something down. So take a second and grab that, and I'm going to put up on the screen um, uh, some things that I want you to write down in your journal. So here's the first one. These are memory verses that we as a community are going to work through together. The first one is Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Now, you might not have time to write the whole verse down, um, but you can at least write the, uh, the scripture verse down. Now, I know some of you who grew up in the church, you haven't memorized a verse of the Bible since you were a kid, and if it helps, later on in this series, we'll come up with cool hand motions, okay? Is that fair? Um, but these are, we're going to try to memorize three verses that are going to sort of help guide our time together. So this is what it says. It says, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what is God's will, his good and pleasing purpose will. It says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. And yet, friends, over and over again, even Christians 
are being conformed to the pattern of this world. We are thinking the way the world is telling us to think. Social media, Facebook, AM radio, your 24 hours news network of choice, these things are shaping the way you think. And here in this passage, Paul invites us into something different. He says, he says don't be conformed to the patterns of this world. Don't be conformed by your AM radio stations, 24-hour news stations, Facebook posts, and all of your confirmation bias. In other words, be transformed. Allow God to change the way you think. So I want to write, write this verse down, at least, the, at least Romans 12, 2, and you can look it up later. This is going to be one of our memory verses. We're going to try to memorize together. Okay, that's the first one. Um, let's go to the next one. The next one is Ephesians 4.29. I'm not going to say a lot about this because I think it speaks for itself. It simply says this. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths except for on Facebook. No. Let no evil talk come out of your mouth but only what is useful for building up as there is need so that your words may give grace to those who hear. To your words and your Facebook comments, is it giving grace to the people who hear it? And we're going to wrestle with this. I'm going to talk about this one too much. Just write down the Ephesians 4.29. If you can write down the whole thing, that's great. But uh, be sure to write it down, um, even if you don't have time this morning. The studies have shown that writing stuff down actually helps us retain it better. And so we, wanna, we, wanna, we want these verses to begin to renew our minds, change the way we relate to one another. Okay, everyone got it? Okay, here's the last, uh, enough anyways. Uh, here's the last verse. Uh, it's coming out of uh, James uh, chapter 1. Uh, verse 19, it says this, know this, my dear brothers and sisters, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to grow angry. Quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to grow angry. It's James 1, 19. This is the CEB version. The NIV sounds similar. And once again, kind of speaks for itself. We're going to look at this passage in a little more detail later, but for now, write it down, at least write down James 1, 19. All right, we'll put up the, the three verses again, just the verse uh, uh, where you can find them in your Bibles, Romans 12, 2, Ephesians 4, 29, James 1, 19. These are going to be our, our memorized, uh, memorized, uh, memory verses, and uh, I'm going to invite you to take some time, this series, to, to recite these on a daily basis and allow these words to begin to shape your mind. Um, and we have five weeks to memorize them all the way up through Easter, and if you're able to memorize all three, um, we'll get a nice Sunday school chart with gold stars and everything, and it'll be great. Um, uh, Creative team, make a note on that. That's actually a good idea. It's not. Okay, so hold on to your journal. You've written those down. Hold on to your journal. We're going to use it one more time before we're done. So today, we want to start by looking at one of the most pressing issues uh, that influences all of the other issues that we're going to talk about, and it's our deep political divide. But before we do that, let, let's pray. <laughs> that's, that's a good idea. Let's pray. God, we come before you, and uh, um, as we uh, begin to wrestle with some difficult things, and uh, um, we begin to stir up in ourselves even some emotions and uh, disagreements, uh, probably even this morning and certainly as we move forward, we ask that you would help us be quick to listen and slow to speak, including myself, that we would allow ourselves to change the way we think, and that we would come at each other with a sense of humility and a sense of willingness to be in relationship. And we ask that you would break through our hearts, um, 
especially my hard heart and anyone else who at times um, becomes stuck or conformed to the patterns of this world, that you begin to shape us and make us in, into your son more and more. In your name, amen. So the people at the Pew Research have um, done a number of uh, studies on the political divide in America, and uh, it's actually frightening how that divide is growing. So they've tracked over the years where the majority of the population in America specifically uh, falls on the liberal to conservative spectrum. So I just want you to say that I'm going to say liberal and conservative a lot today. I don't mean anything by it one way or the other. I'm not trying to endorse one more than the other. It's just easier. I mean, left, right is another way to say it. These are labels, and we're going to use them because I find them helpful for this message. I'm not a particular fan of labels to begin with, so just bear with me. But the reality is, is this is how we talk about politics. So liberal, conservative, left, right, I don't mean anything other than these are labels that are attaching to a particular set and, and particular trends in how we understand things. So in 1994, while there were some people on the far left and on the far right, most Americans were mixed. So here's a, here's a simple graph. You kind of see the blue and the red. For the most part, there was a few that were consistently conservative and there was a few that was consistently liberal, but most people, the humps, were very much in the middle. So 10 years later, in 2004, you see it's actually fairly similar. It shifted a little bit, but for the most part, those humps are very much still in the center. A few people on one side, I feel like a weatherman, a few people over here and a few over here, and then we have a lot of turbulence coming in, right? Um, and that's how that works. But um, 10 years after that, in 2014, look what happens. This huge shift begins to happen. People on the left, they move further left with this low system, and, uh, and this people on the right begin to move right. And this is in 2014, before Trump was elected. <laughs> Regardless of how you feel, very divisive election, correct? So this is 2014, before any of that happens, imagine what this looks like now. Probably more divided, don't you think, if we were just to guess? So 20 years ago, approximately 17% of Republicans and Democrats viewed the opposing party as very unfavorably in surveys, very unfavorably. That was 17% in 10 years, uh, 20 years ago. In 2014, the number went up to 43% of Republicans and 38% of Democrats viewed the other party as very unfavorably. There were studies done in regards to how we viewed the other party, and we were actually moving from viewing the party as unfavorably, the other party, whatever party you belong to, to actually viewing the other party as a threat to our nation. So Republicans, people on the right, view the left as a threat. I don't just disagree with them. They're dangerous, and the same going the other way. We were viewing each other not only as wrong, but as a threat, beyond even just unfavorably. Now, you don't need data like this, to know that we are deeply divided in our country. All you have to do is go home for the holidays, right? Um, or go talk to your best friend. Uh, go talk to your daughter or your son or your great uncle or your parent or your grandparents and bring up things like Trump or immigration or Black Lives Matter or anything else that's divisive. And you'll see just how deep this has made its way even into our family. So I ask you honestly, I'm, I'm very curious, do, do any of you have a family member or a close friend who you either no longer talk to at all or you never talk politics with because of this divide? Honestly, I do. Yeah, most of us in the room. So this is, this is the divide that we live with. 
When I think about one of our memory verses in James, I'm struck by something uh, actually rather profound. James says this. He says, be slow to grow angry. It doesn't say that anger is evil. In fact, anger, righteous anger, uh, can be healthy in all kinds of relationships. But it says, be slow to grow angry. And I think it says, be slow to grow angry, because anger can actually turn into something worse. Anger, left unchecked long enough, can turn into disgust. See, anger... Um, you're still in a relationship with somebody, but when you move to disgust one step further, you're done. You're out. So in marriage counseling situations, uh, a counselor, studies have been done that a counselor can determine whether a, a couple who's having trouble will get divorced or not based on whether one of the couples has on their face an expression of contempt or disgust. And what they found in studies is that if that contempt and disgust is present in the marriage, then it's very likely that they're going to get divorced. But on the other hand... If there's just anger in the relationship, it doesn't mean anything. They may or may not get divorced. It's not a criteria. It's not a determining factor in their relationship at all if it's just anger. Because anger can happen still in the context of relationships. But disgust moves one step further, and, it, and, it, and then all of a sudden the relationship, there's no room for relationship. I, I think in our country, we've moved beyond anger towards the other side, and we've moved to disgust. That's what we've seen in the studies. So it's not that I view the other person as wrong. I view the other person as evil. That's a, that's a jump, friends. That's significant. I don't just view them as wrong. I view them as evil. And I view their party as evil. That, 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 that they are a threat. So James says, be slow to get angry. I'm not even that ambitious in this series. I'm just wondering, maybe we could move back to anger. <laughs> Like, what if we just move from disgust to anger? You, I'm not saying we agree with everybody. I'm just saying, what if we just came back to saying, I disagree and I'm angry about it, but I'm still willing to be in a relationship. Now, that's not going to be possible unless we can really understand what's dividing us. So, in preparing for this teaching, I found something that um, both helped me and also deeply challenged me that also I found lined up with Scripture. So three things that I think are worth sharing. It helped me, it challenged me, and I find it lined up with Scripture. It's actually based not on the work of a Christian. I don't, I don't think he's a Christian. He might be, I don't know. But it's based on the work of a social psychologist by the name of Jonathan Haidt. He uh, is a teacher at a university. He's written some books. But he did a very compelling TED Talk that I was able to watch, and then he has a number of other videos that I began to study in preparation for this teaching. And I found his perspective on these issues to not only be very balanced, but like I said, challenging and compelling. So he wrestles as a social psychologist specifically with um, issues of morality, how we as humans determine what is right and wrong. And, and honestly, the political divide is based on how we determine what is right and wrong. I think this is right, you think this is wrong, et cetera. So he looks at, from an evolutionary perspective, um, how we as communities have determined the difference between what's right and wrong. And even though I'm not sure that he's a Christian, I found that these things that he talks about were deeply biblical. And so I'm going to share with them today. Now, he suggests that as humans, we start with five moral foundations that you just see across cultures. It's just what, it's part of what it means to be human. You have these moral foundations, and on those moral foundations, we build our logic and our reason. So a lot of people, you know, we kind of assume that reason and logic are equal, they're not. This is why we can't agree with one another. Logic and reason is built on some kind of moral foundation. This is what he argues. 
And uh, so I'm going to share with you what these five moral foundations are and how they relate to the Christian faith. So the first one, uh, first foundation is harm and care, or care and harm. In other words, humans determine what's right and what's wrong based on whether it harms somebody, right? This is logical, right? Especially the vulnerable, like children, the poor, widows. A lot of morality of what we determine is right or wrong is based on whether a person's actions or their words or, their, or whatever causes harm to another person, especially if that person is vulnerable. Um, if it causes harm, it's wrong. If it doesn't, then it's not wrong. That's, just, that's how this foundation works. So, the, which we see this in Scripture all the time, don't we? It's why the Bible tells us to care for orphans and widows. It's why we see things about caring for the poor and protecting innocent light. If you know to do good and you don't, then it is for you a sin. This is the first foundation. It's this idea that what is right is based on whether it's harming somebody. And if it's harming somebody, then, you, then it's wrong. You shouldn't do it. It's the first one. The second one is this, what he calls fairness and reciprocity. In other words, a lot of humans use this idea about what is fair and what is just by whether it's fair, whether it shows partiality. So in other words, it's not just whether it's harming somebody, but is everyone being treated equally? And if we're not being treated equally, then it's wrong. That this is one of the moral foundations that we as humans across cultures begin to operate out of. And of course, we see this over and over in Scripture. It's found often in the prophets and in the wisdom literature. Whenever God calls us to justice, it's often a call to equality, that we, God doesn't show partiality, that he looks at us all, and we're all equally loved and created in God's image. And that, that, so there's a biblical basis for that being a moral foundation. That's the second one, fairness, reciprocity. The third foundation is in-group loyalty. So it's this idea that you should have a sense of loyalty or identity wrapped up in a particular group. And so we determine what is right and what is wrong based on how loyal you are to that group, to that community, to that nation. And we do this all the time. We see this not only with patriotism. This is where that high level of patriotism comes from. I believe what is right is what's loyal to a particular nation. But we see it in things like sports, right, and brands. In other words, it is morally wrong for an OSU fan to root for Michigan, it's wrong. There's something deeply sinful about that because of this moral foundation of in-group loyalty. Now, friends, we see this in Scripture as well. Jesus invites us into a new community. And he talks about often in Scripture these passages known as the one another passages. Love one another, serve one another. He's talking about how we treat each other in this new community. Now, this new community is meant to care for people outside the community. There's, there's a basis for that. But there's something unique about being a Christian, and you're meant to, Scripture invites us into having a high level of a deep commitment to the family of God, and to care for each other, to pray for one another, to care for each other more than you should. And if you don't care for each other, that's wrong, and if you do, that's right. And so you see this moral foundation in Scripture as well. That's the third. The fourth one is this. You guys didn't know you were going to sociology class today, did you? Fourth foundation is authority and respect. Here's this idea that there are people we look up to, people we respect, and people we follow. And with this idea, right and wrong, or what is considered right and wrong, is decided outside of ourselves by someone else, by something else, by people, by systems, by teachings. So there is this authority that exists, and 
what is right and what is wrong is determined by what that authority says. And systems of authority deserve a high level of respect. So it's how we keep order, honestly, in community. Just on a very practical level, having systems of authority is how we keep order by respecting our elders and those who are in charge. And once again, we see this in Scripture. We see it all over the place where we're meant to submit to levels of authority. I would argue God first, but there's Scriptures that talk about submitting to leaders in the church. Yeah? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> this is not in my notes, but I score really low on this value. I don't know if you knew that about me. Anyways, I have authority complex. We'll get to that later. But in the Protestant church, what's the highest authority? Specifically, it's what the Protestant church, one of the defining moments that separated the Protestant church from the Catholic church. Because in the Catholic church, the authority, the primary authority is the church, lived out in the leadership of the bishops and the pope. But in the Protestant, what's been the long-time authority? Scripture. Scripture is this authority that you have to follow. And so we see this in Scripture. Scripture itself um, becomes this kind of authority. That's the fourth foundation, authority or respect. And the fifth foundation is this, purity and sanctity. So it's this idea that we as humans, just that humans across cultures, determine what is right and wrong based on what we do with our bodies, what we allow other people to do with their bodies, and what we allow into our bodies. So this includes things like sexual activity, but it also includes the stuff we eat. Now, this is very interesting in our current landscape in the America. Uh, both conservatives and liberals care very deeply about purity and sanctity, but about different things. So I'm talking in large trends here, so no one be offended, but typically people on the right side have a very high value around sexual purity, right? And what we allow to be done with our bodies and outside of marriage and all this sort of stuff. People on the left, though, still have a high value for purity, but it's lived out in, in what we eat, right? So you don't eat anything that's non-GMO, organic, you know, fair trade, cage-free. And it's this issue of purity and sanctity. What do you allow in your bodies and how do you allow your bodies to be used? Now, I say that because in Scripture, that's what we see as well, this moral foundation laid in Scripture. All the way back to the Old Testament, all of these laws around cleanliness and uncleanliness and what you were allowed to eat and what you were allowed to do and how to deal with various things around food and sexuality, you see in Scripture, Old and New Testament. So it's, once again, we see this basis for, um, in Scripture for this foundation. Now, Jonathan, who came up with these, argues that we need all five, he, this is his perspective, that we need all five to have community. But here's the thing. These five moral foundations tend to argue with each other. Um, they tend to fight with each other. And it's hard to hold all of them in equal value. Because as we face different issues, especially divisive issues, one or two or three tend to rise above the others. So this is where it gets really interesting. Jonathan decided to figure out where people on the political spectrum tend to value these um, moral foundations. And he had about 23,000 Americans take a very simple quiz that would kind of show where they tended to lean, which moral foundations they tended to score. Do you, do you want to see the results? Yeah, yeah. So let's, let's look at this graph. So here's a really simple graph. You got uh, liberals on the left, conservatives on the right. These are their length, these words. That's why we're using them. I didn't make this graph. This is just his study, right? So liberals, conservatives, moderates in the middle. So liberals, people on the left, tend to score very high on harm and fairness. Like, what are we doing for the least of these, for the vulnerable? And, are we, and if you're hurting the vulnerable, then it's wrong. 
You shouldn't do it. And if, it, if we're not all, if there's not a sense of fairness, you know, income inequality, Bernie Sanders' entire platform built on fairness and not. Okay. Conservatives, they don't get a zero on, a, uh, the, the liberals don't get a zero on authority and group loyalty and purity. They just score, they tend to score much lower. Once again, very large trends. Don't be offended. It's just information. <laughs> okay. Jump to the conservatives. They still score, conservatives tend to still score very high on harm and fairness, but less than people on the left, on average. But they score, look, much higher with this sense of moral foundations around authority, in-group loyalty, and purity. Now, are some, connects, are some dots beginning to connect amongst some of your relationships? As I looked at this and I began to wrestle with it, I realized that this actually explains a lot of arguments that I've experienced. Um, as you know, I, I tend to post things on Facebook. Uh, if you didn't know that, I tend to post things on Facebook. They get a lot of comments, uh, upwards of sometimes 50 comments, and people aren't usually in agreement. Well, one time I posted something about how I believe, I posted a very strongly worded post about how I believe women should be pastors. Okay. For us at Central City, this is a non-negotiable issue, so it's safe to deal with. We have a woman who is a pastor. I'm married to a woman who is a pastor, so not only do I believe that is how it should be, I have to believe that is how it should be, right? <laughs> right? So, this is just, so this is a safe issue to look at this, right? So we post this thing, and here's what happens. We get all these comments, and then people start messaging me. Now, you know it's a serious thing if people start messaging you. So one of my truly conservative friends he asked me a very sincere question, and, I, and I don't, I'm not speaking ill of him. He just asked a very sincere question, and I totally get where he's coming from. He said, Joe, how can you support women being in leadership when the Bible clearly says they can't? Okay. It's a question you get around all, you know, a lot of these issues in the Christian world. Now, I believe Scripture and pro properly interpreted. That's not what Scripture teaches. But that's not even the point of why I bring it up. Step back. Look at these five moral foundations. Let's put them back up. Which, he says, how can you allow women to be pastors when Scripture clearly says it can't? Which, we're going to play a game. Which moral foundation is that question being built on? Any guesses? Authority, right? Clearly. Authority and respect. It's like, oh, the Bible's, like, the Bible's the authority. Simply read. The Bible said it. I believe it. That's enough. And so I don't think he has a problem with women. I honestly don't believe that. I don't think he has a problem with women in leadership. I just think he, he says, look, my starting place is that the scripture is authoritative. Okay. So he um, asked me that question. The same day, I get a, a message from somebody who is self-identified as being on the left, who would be more progressive, liberal. And she asked me a completely different question. She had been reading the post. She actually confessed. She said she wanted to post some things in response to this other guy, but decided not to because she was trying to be a better human. So she Facebooked me instead, um, which is, you know, that's wisdom. But one of the things she asked is, she asked, how can people not allow women to be leaders when Jesus always tended to include people the law excluded? Okay, fair question, complicated question not dealing with it today. Step back. She said, how, how can people exclude people when Jesus tended to include people, right? 
which moral foundation is that question being built on? Care, harm, fairness, reciprocity. It's unfair. Do you see how this is? Do you see how this is kind of works out in our relationships? So we can't. People will argue, and they're not even starting in the same place, um, because we're looking at looking at the angle from totally two different um, perspectives. Now, once again, we're looking at averages. These are trends. These are labels. Nothing's perfect. But here's been my experience. More progressive Christians want to love everyone. More conservative Christians want people to just follow what the Bible teaches. It's just been my experience. Right? And with these moral foundations, we can begin to see why. One is leaning towards what's fair and what's caring, and one is leaning towards who is our authority. It doesn't matter what you believe is fair if you're disobeying or disrespecting authority. So, I've heard um, right-wing uh, people on the far right, conservatives, complain about how Christianity is under attack in America. Have you heard this? How Christianity is under attack in America. But here's what's funny. On the other end of the spectrum, I've heard progressive Christians complain about how Christianity is attacking other people. Do you, do you, like, both conversations are happening in our country because one side is focused on a high level of in-group loyalty, right? I'm a Christian. We should look out for our own. Do you see how this kind of plays out? High-level in-group law. The other one is like, no, we should be very concerned with the vulnerable. We as Christians have, a, have power, and there's a whole history of colonization around Christianity and all of this sort of stuff. I won't get into it. But those on the outside, they're vulnerable because they're the minority, and we should be caring about how we talk about them and how we interact with them. Do you kind of see how this conversation happens? I know of a, a Christian, uh, a couple Christians, actually, who are anti-immigration, who... who um, you know, they just know more people should be brought into our country. They're anti-immigration. But at the same time, they give hundreds of dollars to international missions. This is complicated, isn't it? To say that someone is anti-immigration makes them racist. You hear those comments? I've heard those comments. And yet this same person's giving hundreds of dollars to international missions? No. It's more complicated than that. He has a high level of in-group loyalty. We need to protect what is ours and what it means to be a nation, and there's nothing inherently wrong about that, and doesn't mean that he doesn't also deeply love people in other countries and wants to make their lives better. Are you getting to see how this works out? So with all of these debates, and we could go through all of them, we don't understand each other because we don't realize that our very logic and our reasoning is deeply impacted and built upon one of these moral foundations, that in and of themselves, um, that these, and, and that aren't necessarily wrong in and of themselves, but we're starting in different places. So we argue, but we never actually hear what each other's saying. After I started wrestling with this, and I'm telling you, this was very challenging for me, because I'm also always right and know what's best, just like you. So I, I wrestled with this. I went to Facebook and I asked another question. Now, when I ask Facebook questions for sermons, I get a pretty good response. So I asked Facebook questions. For, uh, um, I posted this new question for this series, and it simply said this. It said, a social experiment. Think of a party group of people, a political ideology that you disagree with or even are disgusted by, right? Hinting at what we're talking about today. Like, I've moved beyond anger to disgust. Um, then answer this question. What is one thing you actually agree with them on, but because of these other disagreements, You'd never admit. 
I said, comment below or message me. I'm asking sincerely, so no sarcasm. I had to say that. And if you don't have a genuine answer, no need to comment, right? We know Facebook's a landmine. So guess how many comments I got? Two. I got two comments on this post. And one of them only answered the, like, one of them answered the question. The other one, like, actually made the situation seem much worse than I thought it was. Guess how many messages I got? Private messages. We don't have an answer to this question. And if we did, we would never share it. Out of betrayal of our tribe. Friends, we, are, we were created for relationships and community. And whether you consider yourself liberal, conservative, progressive, libertarian, um, uh, and, and if you look at Jonathan Haidt's uh, work on this, uh, libertarians are this interesting subset that don't fall into these norms. So uh, there's some videos he talks about that. Libertarians are kind of their own group that um, aren't falling into progressive or conservative uh, uh, in regards to moral foundations. But wherever you consider yourself belonging, it, friends, it is really hard to step out of alignment with your group. You know, an OSU fan doesn't root for Michigan. An Android fan doesn't convert to Apple. Sinful to just even suggest it. And that kind of loyalty is impacting the way we think. So let me just be honest for a second. I grew up in a fairly right-sided, conservative, um, even maybe at times fundamental Christian home. Now, you should know, I love my parents, and I love all six of my siblings. Big family, and I'm like, in, you won't believe this, but in family time together, I'm the quiet one, okay? So very loud, very passionate individuals in a very significantly right-sided, right-leaning family. And there was a time in my life, as I was going to school and as I was going to seminary, I began to challenge some of my family's long-held beliefs. In other words, I'm beginning to challenge and step out of alignment with my tribe. And I'm telling you, my, my family's close. And I'm challenging them on things around human sexuality, on how to take the Bible. Sometimes the Bible maybe is metaphorical, less literal. You know, there's a little bit of room for interpretation. Things that have to do with authority and purity. Two conservative strongholds. Oh my gosh, friends. As I began to challenge, Alyssa hated it because I'd bring it up at like Christmas time. And, <laughs> and I, I, I never told them this until the writing of the sermon, but I honestly began to feel deeply separated from my family and a great sense of alone, like feeling alone, challenging my tribe in that way. In fact, even to today, if I bring up matters of politics that we tend to disagree on, I feel deeply separated. Now, my family's awesome. They are not disgusted with me. They love me so much that they're worried about me, you know? Like, when, when love happens across the aisle, the other people are worried about you. So I think this is hilarious because I'm the only sibling in full-time ministry. I've literally given my entire life to Christ, not always very well, but I'm trying to, and I'm only one in full-time ministry. And I think that at times they were worried I was even a Christian, you know? Which I'm just like, this doesn't even make sense. But I share that with you because I know from firsthand what it feels like to step out of alignment with your tribe, whatever tribe that is. 
And I've experienced on the other side, stances and conversations that I've had, I've, I've been excluded from Christians on the far left. I've been excluded from Christians on the far right. It's one of the dangers of being in the middle. I share that with you because here's what I believe. I believe that God wants to change the way you think. He doesn't want you to be conformed to the patterns of this world. He wants your mind to be renewed so that we can really understand God's will, his perfect and pleasing will. But friends, if God begins to change the way you think, it can put you at odds with other people. So this is what I'm saying to you. You're welcome here. As we engage in conversation, as we wrestle with divisive issues, wherever you land, if you find yourself moving more to the right or more to the left, I don't care. You are welcome here. You can get kicked out of your family, and you're welcome here. You can get kicked out of your home or out of your workplace. You can lose friends because you're choosing to begin to wrestle with things differently. You're welcome here. Because I believe that there are people sitting in this room right now who God wants to deeply challenge the way you think and begin to renew your mind. So we're going to do that by spending some time in reflection. During this whole series, each week, we're going to share with you a number of reflection questions. So I'm going to put those up on the screen. Here's our uh, uh, reflection questions. I, I actually want you to write these down, um, and we're going to leave them up on the screen um, during the, most of the rest of the service. We have plenty of time to write these down on three different pages, three questions, three different pages so you can really process them. Here's the first one. It's based on the Facebook post. Think of a group you disagree with or even disgusted by. Now try to think of something you actually agree with them on and you wouldn't normally admit. We need to wrestle with that. Uncomfortable. On all sides of the spectrum, we've looked at the political divide, but I want you to wrestle with that. Think of a group you disagree with or even disgusted by. Try to think of something you actually agree with them on that you wouldn't normally admit. And if you have to do some research, do some research. <laughs> this will be good for you. Very humbling. Here's the second one. You've got plenty of time to write these down. We're going to leave them up. Is there someone in your life on the other side of the aisle that you could reach out to? Okay. I'm not saying you should reach out to them. I'm just asking, is there someone? And whether you reach out to them or not, spend some time reflecting on why it's so difficult. So I'm not even going as far as to say, hey, go build relationships with the other side. I'm just saying, think about somebody and then journal, reflect on why that's so difficult. Of course, you disagree with them, but what else is going on? Why is it so difficult? All right. And then finally, the third one, spend some time uh, with this one. We all belong to tribes. We all identify with people groups. And my question I want you to wrestle with, is there a tribe that is more important that you have a higher level of loyalty to than following Jesus. Jesus invites us into a new community, and he invites us to have a deep commitment with that community as the people of God. Is there, and, 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 and I don't think that's meant to live out in a way that excludes other people or doesn't care for people on the outside, but still, we're meant to have, our ultimate tribe is meant to be as followers of Jesus. Not even necessarily loyalty to the church with all of its corruption, I'm, I'm not, but just to what it means to follow after Jesus. So we all belong to tribes. Is there a tribe that's more important than, to you than following Jesus? Friends, I, I, I hope that I've challenged you. I hope that you'll not run away from this and that you'll join us again. I do hope that. <laughs> um, 
but I do hope that, you've that I've challenged you. I'll say in preparing this message in particular, um, I've been deeply challenged, and, and I feel like I've even encountered a number of obstacles that would prevent me from even sharing some of these thoughts with you. Um, this is a stronghold in our country. This is a, this is a serious issue, and, and we're really struggling um, as a people to be in relationship with one another. So I encourage you to begin to wrestle with some of these um, and as we continue this series. So you can continue to write, and we'll leave these up for a little while longer, but I'm going to invite us to pray. And then I'm going to give you some, just a couple of moments to begin thinking about some of these. You won't have time to re reflect or journal on all of these, but I want you to have some time to begin to reflect on one of these. Let's pray. God, we come before you, and we ask that you begin to open our hearts and our minds, that you'd help us see other people as created in your image, and that you begin to renew our mind, help us learn how to think differently, that we might be able to model for the world what it means to love in the midst of disagreement and love one another. I invite you now into a time of prayer and reflection.